Intel is the spark for the dreamers who do. They dream of a life with no diseases, of cleaner, greener, more reliable energy, of advancing education by bringing AI everywhere. Intel is the spark to start something new, to know that no dream is too daring when you have the right foundation. It starts with Intel. Learn more at intel.com starts. Darling, Sway. I'm Kara Swisher, and you're listening to Sway. I've criticized Facebook a lot over my years covering big tech, and honestly, they deserve it. But one of Mark Zuckerberg's most questionable moves of late was the creation last year of an oversight board. On paper, the board is independent, 20 people from across industries that Zuckerberg has called a, quote, Supreme Court. But it's a body that's been funded by Facebook and the board's initial members have been picked by the company, which presents quite an optics issue. I've called it a Potemkin village meant to paper over Facebook's lazy abrogation of responsibility. So the board's big decision this week to uphold Facebook's ban on Trump raises a lot of questions for me. They said Facebook had six months to be more specific, a forever ban or a time-limited one. The board said, quote, in applying a vague standardless penalty and then referring this case to the board to resolve, Facebook seeks to avoid its responsibilities. The board declines Facebook's request and insists that Facebook apply and justify a defined penalty. I couldn't have written it better myself. Actually, I have been for years. Alan Rusbridger is one of the founding members of that board. He was editor-in-chief of the UK's Guardian and steered the paper through WikiLeaks and the Edward Snowden revelations. Now he's on the other side, working with a company he once would have covered and demanded answers from. He's here today to take me behind the board's decision because he was in the room where it happened. Alan, welcome to Sway. Hi, I'm glad to be here. How, how are you doing? I'm all right. So uh, you must be exhausted at this point. Let, let me just say, this was a decision I did not expect you all to do. I, there were so many scenarios of what could happen here, and this was fascinating. But I'd first like to talk about how you got Uh, to the board. So you've been a journalist for decades. You started reporting at The Guardian in 1979. You were editor of the paper as it broke news on WikiLeaks, the News International phone hacks, and of course, the Edward Snowden revelations. So now you're an oversight board member. Why? How did did they get you to do this? Well, um, I mean, you can't edit a paper for 20 years and not think deeply about free speech. And I'm really interested in social media and all that's good and bad about it. And I'm very cautious of people who just want overnight regulation as though we're going to solve this by next Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And so when when somebody came along and said, would you be interested in being considered? I said, yes. It was a long process. It took about a year for them to pick the first 20. Um, And of course, we were all skeptical, as you are, about, you know, whether this is a truly independent thing or not. And um, I think we were all, those of us who joined, uh, are satisfied that it, it it certainly feels independent. All right. So what, what did they do to convince you? Because Facebook has had a lot of taint over various things over the years. Well, I suppose two things. One, one that we would be genuinely free of any influence from Facebook once we were up and running and, and 
as so far as I'm concerned, that is true. I mean, we we, uh, we have our own board of trustees who overlook us with some very distinguished people who I I respect. So I don't, I can't I don't feel that there's any way that Facebook um, has any hold over me, which is ac- mm-hmm. actually what I felt when I was editing the Guardian. I worked for a trust, and similarly, I, I felt very independent from any pressure. And the second thing was, uh, I guess we all wanted some assurance that that Facebook would be bound to do at least some of what we asked them to do. Mm-hmm. So there are there are two things we can do. We can order them to do stuff. We can say, look, take this down, leave it up. We can ask some questions, and we can make policy recommendations. Now they're bound to accept our decisions, but they're not bound to accept our policy recommendations. So I I feel. Uh, it, you know, it would have been pointless joining a board that, that didn't have at, at least that element of compulsion. Of course. But did you have any reservations about the image of Facebook around the world and the idea oh, of affiliating of <laughs> your reputation against yeah, it? Yeah, of course. Of course. And, and um, uh, you know, Facebook uh, is in- incredibly cack-handed, uh, opaque, arrogant, um, you know, they're, they're, we could spend a whole podcast discussing all the things that are wrong with Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you believe that social media also has a a good and great function and um, has the potential, not only the potential, it is it is actively doing good as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, of course, you can you can stand on the sidelines and th- throw rotten tomatoes. But if you wanted to make it work, then sometimes maybe you have to roll up your sleeves and and then try. Were you worried that this was Facebook's attempt, as many people think, uh, to to stave off, not regulation per se, but to give a veneer of regulation when, in fact, you're not really a Supreme Court. That, that's I find that unusual that Mark yeah. used that term. And I always yeah. look at what he says. And sometimes he can be very ham-handed in his, his the way he talks about things. I mean, I'd, listen, if, if, it's, a, it's an odd situation. I've, I've never met my fellow judges in real life because mm-hmm. we, you know, we started in the pandemic. Um, but I've come to to know them over Zoom and to respect them greatly, and and quite a lot of them have very little time for Facebook at all. You know, um, the, the idea that this is a handbook board of people who are going to give Facebook uh, an easy life. So mm-hmm. I think all of us, we're none of us fools. We, we realise that this could be used as a, a fig leaf. I think you have yourself used the words. Potemkin and village in in relation yes, to, to what we do. Um, I think probably fig leaf. But we're, you know, we're, we're, we're all aware of that. And maybe in our judgment yesterday, uh, you see our awareness of that. You know, please don't ask us to do stuff that is your responsibility. So, you mm-hmm. know, thank you very much, but that's your job. That's not our job. And and so uh, I think in, in all our work, you will see us very aware that we don't want to be used in, in a way that, that that dodges Facebook's own responsibility. Yeah, I think that was the center of my complaint about it, is that this was their job. I, I've always said that yeah. they've abrogated responsibility. That's been my main message. Um, so you signed on to the board last year. Did you ever imagine at that point that, sit, you know, that a sitting U.S. president would be using social media to help incite an attack on the Capitol, which you all clearly said is what happened in his posts, that he was using these posts to do so? No, I mean, I mean... Uh, the thing with Trump is that he just constantly uh, astonished, well, he, he constantly astonished me. Um, uh, and every time you thought he couldn't do something more outrageous or more bad or, or, or more erosive of democracy and of you know the role of the press, uh, but ne- never in my wildest dreams could I have imagined a scenario where he would behave as he did 
in the run-up to January the 6th and on the day itself. And using social media to do so, among the many things. I don't blame social media completely, but it was a long, it was sort of a long con by Trump using these tools among his other tools like rallies and the television and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're all complicit a bit, aren't we? I mean, the, the, the way he... He used the press, I think, the way he used television. It, it's all in modern politics, it's all indivisible. I mean, politics and social media, it's it's the same thing. So um, as I think social media should take a lot of blame, but it's not just social media. No, of course not. But my, my point being is that you all determined that he used, that the things he said, as did Twitter, as did YouTube, um, were uh, sort of a, a, a tweet too far, essentially. Yes, I mean... These are incredibly difficult issues, um, and you know it's taken a thirty-eight page judgment to unpick some of them. Um, I, I suppose, as a newspaper editor, uh, you know, I mean, it's a crass thing to say, but you know, on on, on the side of free speech broadly, um, my instinct is to give more latitude especially to political leaders, because I think it's important not only that they have the right to be heard, but that we have the right to hear them. And if I want to make a judgment on somebody I might vote for one day, uh, and it it turns out they're an incorrigible liar, I I would like to know that. And I I don't want somebody protecting me from that. So um, although I I really hated and disliked a lot of the things that Trump did on social media – uh, I thought broadly uh, he should be allowed to do it. Um, mm, you know, we're, we're, this isn't, you know, we're not talking about January the 6th. We're talking about right. his life before January the 6th. Let's go into um, what happened. So, of course, January 6th uh, led Facebook and Twitter and eventually YouTube to remove Donald Trump from their platform. In Facebook's case, that decision was applied for an indefinite period. That's the word Facebook used. And the oversight board was expected to review that decision and either overturn it or back a permanent ban. Uh, essentially, they handed over this to you. So let's talk about uh, the final decision from the Oversight Board this week. We, that's what people were expecting. Instead, we got this decision not to make a final decision. Talk me through the board's ruling broadly. Well, we decided that Facebook was both right and wrong. It was right to remove the uh, posts on the day. I think that's relatively uncontroversial. I, I think it's broadly accepted that what he was doing even though you know the language has got sort of dog whistle qualities and and talks about peace and going home that the dog whistle is also uh incredibly dangerous inflammatory speech at a time when democracy itself was under attack so i i think most people think facebook was was right to take the stuff down and the board agreed with this we agreed we agreed with that and we Mm -hmm. we agreed i think that that when they met the next day facebook on on the 7th and then banned him for two weeks uh that seemed to be a a a, a proportionate necessary thing Mm -hmm. the the problem comes with this word indefinite so again i think it's defensible i'm not saying i agree with it but i think it's defensible for twitter to say permanent you're off forever um, but Facebook's use of this word um, indefinite is problematic in two ways. One, it's nowhere in Facebook's own rule book. So it's doing, you know, if Facebook's saying we want people to abide by the rules, you, it's a bit rich then to break your own rules by doing something that is, is not laid down anywhere. 
<laughs> and the second, I think this this term indefinite is just unfair. I mean, you you that's why you you don't get indefinite jail sentences or indefinite anything really. You know, it it, it it's it's just fair to to people to say it it's two weeks or it's forever or it's two months or it's two years, or this is what you have to do in order to be allowed back on. But just to say indefinite gives too much power to Facebook. Well, some might say they did that so they could hand it over to you. Just hand this. Very oh, yeah. fetid, Again, hot potato right over your we, hands. We were like, not blind to that. Um, and, yeah. and, and again, we, we don't think that's our function. We, so we mm-hmm. said, no, this is your responsibility. And you should have six months uh, in which you, if you like, you can rewrite the rules. So talk about this, Arbor, the idea that they use this word. They have been in business for a little while and have encountered these problems before. The fact that the, the ruling was so arbitrary, and they do, don't enforce them. The rules are opaque. When I was dealing with Alex Jones, they kept changing the number of times he could violate and then said, we're just trying to make sure he doesn't game us. I said, he's gamed you already. It's already happened. Um, why were there no rules? Did you ever get any insight? Well, maybe this is, you know, I don't want to sort of, I'm not here simply to blow the oversight board's trumpet, but maybe we are performing a function here in exposing uh, the opacity or or the density or the inconsistencies uh, or or the fact that a lot of this is not thought out. I mean, to give you one example, um, Facebook have what they call a newsworthy exception. Um, Yeah. I mean, that's... I guess, an attempt to sort of give some free speech protection to things on account of uh, their newsworthy, that they're important, that they're current. And it it turned out they had never applied that to Donald Trump. uh, Mm -hmm. And we've managed to get that out of them. So I think we are getting under the bonnet or under the hood of of Facebook and beginning to uh, establish things that weren't visible previously. And I, I, I would imagine that over time, there will be lots of examples of, of that. Yeah. Yeah. I was shocked that they were being opaque. I don't you know. After years of covering them, that that's all they do. That's their color. So one of the things that you just mentioned, newsworthiness, explain what that is. What is newsworthiness in your, in the way you look at it here? Well, it, it's saying, are, are there things that are important and significant and current, which demand an, an exception to the rules? Should there be a special protection for, for speech uh, around certain kinds of issues because it's important that we discuss them? Oh, we hear them, like uh, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, yeah. things like yeah. that. Was this a surprise to you that they never applied newsworthiness to the policy? This despite the company waving its hands and telling me this, actually, in that they were referencing this policy during some discussions of Trump. It was a surprise to me because I, I think actually newsworthiness is quite an interesting concept. It's come up in one or two of the other decisions we did. It, it came up in the in the decision that we did over COVID. Um, mm-hmm. That was highly newsworthy. Uh, the particular case that we considered, the case of a, a doctor in Marseille who was um, advocating for hydroxychloroquine. Um, that's an absolutely newsworthy thing, uh, and we decided in that case that, again, that, that should be allowed. But it was interesting to me that they had never applied it to Donald Trump. And, of course, anything that we're saying here about Donald Trump is going to have implications for Facebook down the line in terms of handling any any number of, mm-hmm. of populist leaders. Right. We also learned through the decision that Facebook had found Trump had violated its rules five times before January 6th, three times within the last year. 
There were also 20 pieces of content posted that had been flagged, but these didn't result in any action. And uh, researcher Evelyn Dueck suggests that this may be because of a cross-check policy Facebook grants high-profile accounts, which is also opaque. Yeah, well, again, that that was interesting because this question of political speech is, is again, a thorny one that people have been discussing in free speech terms for maybe 200 years. This question of whether if you're a public figure, particularly if you're a politician, that this business of the interlinked right to speak to potential voters, to citizens, and the right of citizens to learn as much as possible from people who might end up leading them and making laws, whether that attracts a kind of special privilege. And we can think probably of areas of law. I mean, the famous New York Times versus Sullivan case, which is so determinative of of libel, where the judges essentially said, if you're a public figure, there should be more latitude for the press to write about you without penalty. So one of the things uh, I just want to make clear, Trump was violating Facebook terms well before the Capitol attack. Everybody could see it in plain sight. And Facebook was one aware of it and not allowing for newsworthiness. They let it slide because did you ever figure out why they let it slide? What was the reason if it wasn't newsworthiness? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm guessing that, um, you know, the thing that I've just said about the, the latitude that they gave Trump because he was a political figure, as repugnant as many people would have found Trump's speech, the argument that says, but in the end, he's the elected president. Uh, and you can imagine the, the discussion that we could be having now mm-hmm. um, had they moved sooner to what would be called censoring the president. Um, and a lot of people would be saying, uh, so there's this, you know, big, big tech, this Californian company that nobody elected is deciding they have uh, the, the right to censor the president. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to lose both ways on that one. Yes. Well, or you could look at it as here's a here's a persistent troll who lies and spreads hate and 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 yeah, misinformation but, yeah, but, but, but who violated the, main, the law over not just once, Alan, dozens of times. But this is a problem that all, all media has faced, you know, um, from Certainly. from television and the New York Times, you know, and the mm-hmm. Washington Post. How how much do we feel obliged to report this? Uh, and how much do we have to? Uh, do we feel obliged to contradict it or um, put interstitials over it? Are we going to use the word lie or not? I mean, these these are debates that have been well, going on. Two observations: it's unfettered information that 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 does not at least have a "this isn't true" next to it, and secondly, it's amplified in a way that is not like a billboard, not like a television, not like it's it's more than anything else. It's clearly different in an age where. Somebody can speak to 35 million people simultaneously. That That is a, a problem that has never existed in humankind before. Mm-hmm. I mean, a, a problem. It's, a, it's an opportunity. It's a challenge. But if somebody starts to use that ability to speak to 35 million people to, uh, to incite harm, again, we say, look, Facebook has got to move much more quickly and have the capability to be able to resource their response to these kind of um, unprecedented situations much better than they are at the moment. All right. But this cross-check policy seems um, jerry-rigged. I think I'm, be, I'm being nice here I, and because I, I know how they, they work here. Is This is they would check it again and can overrule checkers, correct? Yeah. Did you get any insight into this policy? A bit. N- n- not enough, I think. Um, I, mean, I mean, again, I think we asked 46 questions of Facebook and 
we had answers yeah. in the majority, but there were about two questions they didn't answer properly and seven where they didn't give us an answer. So um, again, we're, we're chipping away, but we're not getting as far as we want to at the moment. Do you guys not have a right to have that? Do you not get subpoena power if you're the Supreme Court, we're, for we're, example? <laughs> Alas, well, or, or mercifully, we're not the Supreme Court. Well, he called he, it well, that, He did, so but I think was... we, we avoid the phrase ourselves. Yes, I would too. But you, you did not have the power to compel them to do so. We don't. I mean, they can come back and... Um, Maybe there's a, a bit of a pattern developing in which there are certain areas they say, uh, actually, it's irrelevant to what you do. and But determined by them. Determined by them at the moment. But, I mean, I, again, I think having created this body, it's going to be quite embarrassing for them uh, to be constantly seen not to be complying with it. Um, mm-hmm. So sure. it, it is fair. I think you know it, it's obviously fair to to say that at the moment we start with a clearly defined remit. Right, we're limited to take it up or leave it down, basically. But uh, as you saw from the, the from the decision yesterday, uh, for instance, one of the things we said is actually you should do a full and open review about your own role in the events up to January the sixth. Yes, which they which and publish which that they've been doing. So they can say no to that. Yeah. But if they keep saying no to the things that we suggest, um, I don't think that's going to place them in a particularly good light. Yeah. Well, Alan, you have to have um, shame before you're embarrassed. Uh, but that's my opinion again. Uh, this, so what were your what were the unanswered questions as a board member about the policy? You said seven they didn't answer at all. Could you give any insight to that? Well, for instance, you know, let, let's use the A word, the the, mm-hmm. the algorithm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it is interesting to us and I think to uh, the wider public, uh, what are the design decisions behind their treatment of Trump? Because this leads into their accountability for the events leading up to January the 6th. So um, we would like to understand better the, the decisions that Facebook makes in what gets promoted, what gets viral, who gets to see what. Now, we, mm-hmm. we don't have the powers to do that at the moment, but I think if we keep on asking, uh, it will get increasingly embarrassed. You, you would say, well, they have no shame. Well, <laughs> let's, let's... I know they have no shame, but Let's find out. Let's find out. Yeah. So did you have any particular unanswered questions that you felt frustrated when they wouldn't answer them? If you had to pick one of them that was like, are you kidding me? Well, I do think this this question of virality and, you know, which is which is the thing that everyone says about Facebook, and it, it may well be true, but I don't personally know uh, the, these questions uh, about how Facebook chooses what to go in your feed and what to promote and what not to promote and whether Facebook is engineered in order to create polarized disagreement people like that or people click mm-hmm. on it. Yeah. Now, everyone says that's true of Facebook and and maybe it is, but I think probably our job as a board is to get as far as we can in understanding that. And at the moment, we're just in the foothills. A lot of researchers think they should give information out. They should make it clear. You're the Edward Snowden editor guy yeah. um, who got a lot of this information out. Do you yeah. think this this kind of information should be made, given the importance of this company and the yes. enormous yes, power it, they have? Of course. Um, I mean, yeah, of, of course I think that. And I, I, I would like the board to be able to uh, use its power to maximum effect to get at all that. Um, now, of course, 
I understand that people are impatient. They want this to happen immediately. And I think it may happen. I don't think it's going to happen immediately. But I think the more that we can establish our bona fides, our credentials, I I think yesterday was a big step towards that, um, Mm -hmm. then the more power we have, the more influence we have uh, uh, in, in trying to act as as advocates on behalf of the people um, for for the information that I think Facebook in the end is going to have to be more open about. So if you were the editor of The Guardian still, I would imagine you'd say, go get that algorithm to your reporters, go (laughs) find out what they were doing, go find sources and figure it out, correct? Yeah, that would be a, a great story to get. But that would be the thing you'd want from them, correct? Yes. And maybe there's kind of, there's a, there's a parallel with Edward Snowden that, that when we first saw the Edward Snowden documents, um, and when we had general reporters on on the case, they were baffling, you know, because this was an internal language within the intelligence agencies. Sure. And we had to bring in other people because we had to understand the language in these slides. And uh, it was also true of the people who were in charge of oversight of the intelligence agencies. They often picked people, you know, who were retired, and and you almost look as though you've been handpicked because you there's no, you know, you can barely use your mobile phone, let alone understand how something like the NSA or GCHQ work. So, of course, the easy thing is to say, let's see the algorithm. But having the technical capability to understand uh, what you're being shown or, or what even to ask for. Certainly. But do you have the power to do that as a board member? Hire people? Hire, get in there? We do. Is, as an editor, you say, let's do this. Absolutely. So- absolutely, we do. And in virtually all the cases we do, we go to experts. They may be linguistic experts or regional experts. But absolutely, if we need technical expertise, we have the budget and the capability to go out and find it. And get it from them or demand it from them. Well, no. <laughs> We can continue to demand it from them. At, at the moment, that's one of the questions they're not answering. Yeah. But I, I guess it comes down to, you know, Facebook's got a, a bigger, wider problem uh, in terms of regulation and in terms of people who want to break it up. Mm-hmm. I would have thought that at some point they're going to have to realize that it's in their interests uh, to start being more uh, transparent about how they work. Yeah. Okay. So now you put the ball squarely back in Facebook's court by giving them six months to, quote, review this matter uh, to determine and justify a proportionate response that is consistent with the rules that are applied to other users of the platform. Um, it sounds That's very lawyerly, um, but it sounds to me like I'm thinking Alex Jones eventually, or Holocaust deniers. I did the very famous interview where Mark said Holocaust deniers don't mean to lie, and then two years later decided differently. Um, any predictions where this will go? Yeah. I hope that the, the function we're having is just to say, look, look th- think your way through all these things uh, because you clearly haven't thought about them enough. I mean, I have observed the, the kind of statements that Zuckerberg has made over time that, that you describe. And it, clearly, there's a man who's doing a lot of catching up from not having thought very much about free speech issues to having to be much more sophisticated. That, I think, coincided with him saying, Actually, I probably don't have the capability. He's an engineer. He's not a moral philosopher. He's got no background in law or or journalism or free expression. So uh, if you want to do him credit, you could say, well, uh, actually, this is probably why he set the board up in the first place. Again, 
he sh- it's still his job nonetheless. But have you, did you, have you talked to him a lot about this or no, not? No, 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 I have once, I was <laughs> once in the same room with him and Rupert Murdoch at a weird occasion oh, in God. Davos about 15 years <laughs> ago. And, and he was literally the 25 year old geek in the, in the corner of the room, but I, I've never spoken to him. And your observation, you never spoke to him. You had no encounter personally. No, it was, it was kind of fascinating. It was just at the time that it must have been 2009, 2010. So Facebook was just sort of breaking through. And, you know, mm-hmm. even Rupert Murdoch had sort of begun to realize that this might have an effect on his business. And you had these incredibly powerful uh, press giants uh, not knowing quite how to speak to this awkward 25-year-old geek, um, but, mm-hmm. but realizing he was he, he could be trouble for them. Yes, indeed. Rupert's been on to him for a long time. Um, so one of the things that, that you're saying here is this is someone who's just learning on the job. And my very first column for the New York Times was the pricey education of Mark Zuckerberg, pricey to us, yeah. not to yeah. him. Um, what will cause him, one, to become educated? Or we're sitting here waiting for someone to keep making drastically damaging mistakes and then figure it out. Um, how long will it take them to make this decision? Twitter was slow for sure, but they could make this decision. And Jack Dorsey has done this. He's stuck to it. Um, it's a hard decision. He's taking the slings and arrows from doing it. Why can't Facebook? Well, my my uh, my impression is that Facebook mm-hmm. is quite a, it's got quite a closed culture. Um, I mean, you've had much more to do with these companies than I have. My impression is that Google is reasonably open, Twitter moderately open, and and Facebook not so much. So I I think there is a culture there in that company, which I I can't pretend to be an expert about, and which is very sort of um, directed at the pinnacle of Zuckerberg at the top. And so I I think that that culture probably has to change. I don't know how it's going to change. and I don't know, you know, uh, what role Zuckerberg can or should play in that. But, um, you know, again, maybe the, the oversight board is a sign of a willingness to change. I mean, it is, it's quite a big deal I mean, for a company to have done, um, mm-hmm. you know, rightly or wrongly. You can love it or loathe it, but it, it's, it's not an insignificant thing for a company to have done. And yet Jack Dorsey did it. No, no I mean the oversight board. Oh, the oversight yeah, board. Yeah, yeah. Mm. But Jack Dorsey just made the decision without having to, I mean, in my mind, a duck is a duck is a duck. And everyone's looking at a duck and saying, is it a duck or is that duck dangerous? Um, I want to get to some of the other things in the board dynamics. The board decision noted a minority of members emphasized that they would have gone further, specifically in protecting human rights and dignity. This is a dissenting opinion, but pokes at the conventional wisdom about the board. The board is overly protective of free speech. This decision was, you had made previous ones where you gave wide latitude to speech. And this one... You did not. Can you talk about this minority group? As you would expect in a case like this, some members were much more censorious of Trump and much less permissive uh, about his right and would have been much tougher. Um, But they were the minority, but their views are, I think, fairly represented in the report. Were you in the minority? Um, I don't think um, I want to say. Okay. All right. (laughs) Why not? Well, I... Um, because I think it's it's a the the, the verdict is the verdict, um, and uh, I, I think it becomes a bit invidious if you start saying, "Well, I disagreed or didn't agree." I, I'm, I'm part of the collective decision. Okay, I'm all for transparency, Alan. Anyway, is there any infighting on the board? Any infighting? 
Yeah. It just, it just reminds me of yeah. the Liz Cheney's secret ballot. That's all I'm saying. Like, they say they hated Liz Cheney and then they didn't vote against her, but that's okay. So is there is there any infighting? Talk to me about how the discussions are made. First of all, the, the heavy lifting on each case is done by five people. Five, right. So there are panels of five. And with with Trump, we came together early to set out, sort of scope the general issues. We Look then, through the comments. There were 9,000 uh, comments. There were 9,000 comments. We got a great staff who uh, sifted and um, made sense and highlighted the, the, the important ones, but also highlighted trends. Uh, and the panel of five... Uh, it went through an, a number of drafts, and uh, that the, those drafts would then be shared with the wider board. And mm-hmm. through a period of, of iteration, uh, which went on probably longer than it should have done, but, it, but on the other hand, it was an incredibly important and complex case, we finally arrived at, at, at a draft that we could all sign off on. And was there, how did the, was there fighting? Because, you know, there's all this stuff going on in newsrooms and companies and base camp last week, this idea of what can be said. Was was it a relatively cohesive group yeah, of people from I, your perspective? I, I've, I've, you bet, I've, you've run a newsroom. Yeah, and yeah, I've run, yeah, I've run a newsroom and I have seen fights. I mean, mm-hmm. not, not, I'm trying to say, have I seen, I've seen physical fights in newsrooms, but I've certainly seen um uh, Passionate disagreement, and um, and there, there have been um, uh, powerful disagreements, I would say, in this case. But I, I wouldn't say it was fighting. And you know, somehow we have created a maybe, maybe because we've never yet met, we've we've created an atmosphere in which people engage powerfully, but in a civilized way. And of course, a lot of it is done, you know, through shared documents. Um, so it's not actually shouting across a crowded Zoom, right? Were you? Were you? Were, was anyone there worried about being perceived as cancel culture? You know, there's this debate going on, which I still don't fully understand because some of it's consequence culture, some of it's woke. Although the opposite of woke is asleep. Um, were you all worried about that idea of being attacked uh, as being censorious? Well, yeah, I don't like the word cancel culture. I don't either. either. Um, I hate it. I mean, you, you can imagine there was a, there was a, a spectrum of people at one extreme who who want to be extremely permissive about speech, especially the speech of the president of the United States. You know, so um, and at the, at the other extreme, there were people who said, "But he's a monster. He's he's um, you know he was in, inciting violence. He was destroying democracy." Um, uh, no way should he ever be allowed back, you know. All right. So the minority, it it mentioned to ensure that users who seek reinstatement after suspension recognize their wrongdoing and commit to observing the rules of the future. It sounds like you want an apology. Is that asking, the minority was asking for an apology from Trump? Well, I think it comes down to to if you're going to allow him, if you're going to allow him back on, do you set preconditions or do you... uh, in football, we would call it a yellow card. You know, mm-hmm. so you're on a warning, you're on probation. If you offend again, you'll be out again. So there were some people who said, "Well, a a good precondition would be for him to accept the result of the general election. If you're prepared to mm-hmm. accept that you lost, we'll allow you back on." Now we didn't ad- adopt that as the board, but but those are the kinds of decisions that we anticipate Facebook would now want to have. Well, he's already doing the the big lie thing. I can't imagine he wouldn't continue to do the same thing. Um, what was your personal view of the apology requirement? I, I think my view, um, and I, um, I'm thinking aloud to some extent, is that I would 
allow him back. I mean, I think it's, I, I can't see him saying in order to come back on Facebook, I'm going to accept that the, the election uh, was not a fraud. I, I'd be more interested in uh, in setting out the standards of conduct that we would expect, uh, we, Facebook, would expect of him. Uh, and a bit like people who are on probation, if he breaks them again, then he's off. So you would bring him, you would have brought him back on or permanently banned him? I'm not saying that I would want him back on or not, um, because I think but I think if he were, he just I'd sort of a three it, yeah. strikes rule. It's probably, I mean, having as a board said, look, this is your decision. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably not very helpful for me to start saying, well, what would I do if if, if it were right. my decision? Were you in the minority group? Of of what? Of this group that was doing these these other things. Uh, it doesn't seem like you are. <laughs> just what you just said. Um, I mean, I, again, we we. Uh, I mean, I okay. Why why play around? No, I wasn't. Okay. We'll be back in a minute. If you like this interview and want to hear others, follow us on your favorite podcast app. You'll be able to catch up on Sway episodes you may have missed, like my conversation with former Facebook chief security officer, Alex Stamos, and you'll get new ones delivered directly to you. More with Alan Rusbridger after the break. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, secure the trust of your customers, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Plus, save time by completing security questionnaires with Vanta AI. Thousands of global companies use Vanta to automate evidence collection and unify risk management. Get $1,000 off Vanta by going to vanta.com slash hardfork. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash hardfork for $1,000 off. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. If you don't know our show, it's true stories that unfold like little movies for radio. Lots of them funny with surprising moments and plot twists. We've been on the radio for years. And we teamed up with the New York Times to bring you new episodes of This American Life a full day and a half before you can find them anywhere else online. And the place you can do that is the New York Times audio app every Saturday morning. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories when you're in the mood to hear something good but you don't have time for a whole episode. And the New York Times audio app, can I say, is chock full of tons of other stories and podcasts curated every day for those moments that you want to listen to something and you don't know what you want to listen to. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. And if you're not already a New York Times subscriber, well, this is another reason to become one. Again, that's nytimes.com slash audio app. All right. So let's talk about the implications for Trump. So what does the oversight board mean for what happens here for Donald Trump? He has, of course, just come out with his own I guess it's a blog from the desk of Donald J. Trump. I'm sure you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, how consequential, from your perspective, were you, were you thinking about this at all? Well, he, he's lost an, an enormously influential uh, platform in terms of numbers and audience. It is, as we said before, you can't detach Facebook from the political process. It, it is the political process, part of the same thing. You know, he's a cunning and um, 
well-resourced guy, and I'm sure he will try and find works around. And he was sort of kind of doing that yesterday. You yes, know, he's, yeah, he's, find, he's trying to find ways of making announcements that his supporters then put out and, and gain traction. Uh, and he may start his own platform, but it's, it's going to be, he's going to struggle to, to create a platform as powerful as Facebook. Yeah, well, good luck with that. So um, so Trump responded to the Oversight Board ruling by reiterating this deplatforming was a total disgrace. Republicans, you saw all the reactions, negative decision. A lot of it was performative, uh, talking about free speech and they're going to come get you. What was your thoughts on that, that you're a mortal, now a mortal enemy of free speech? Well, I think that was that was always going to be the reaction. And, and I guess that is why I've as we said earlier, that, that's why Facebook avoided taking the step until the last possible moment to avoid the perception that this was a, a an, an elite metropolitan Californian company and mm-hmm. taking decisions on. So um, they, I think they were always bound to say that. So should the board have the power to deplatform a leader? You didn't take that power in this case, which you certainly could have. Do you feel comfortable with this responsibility? I don't think we have the power to completely deplatform. We can take down individual pieces of content, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm perf- perfectly happy with that responsibility. I think the bigger questions of deplatforming, I would rather were taken by Facebook. It, you think that's their job, and then you can rule on that rule, essentially. Yeah, that's the the way you yeah. look at it. Um, how much do you make? It's six figures. What's six figures? There's a lot it, of different it, six it, figures. It's six figures. <laughs> Which, high, low? We can play that game. You're not going to tell me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, in the spirit of transparency, for example, I would appreciate it. But has it been worth it? That's really what I want to ask. Well, I mean, personally, I find it absolutely absorbing. I I think um, I was teaching a bunch of kids in in Oxford this morning and, uh, you know, all conversations lead back to Gutenberg. um, Oh, they do? At Oxford, they do. (laughs) They don't in the United States. All conversations lead back to Beyonce here. Conversations they were having in the 15th century about the implications of movable type and and moving speech out of the purview of of a few monks and and the cataclysmic following-ons from that and who was allowed speech and who wasn't allowed speech. And so to be to be having a ringside view at at the same debates five, six hundred years later is fabulously interesting and I think incredibly important. And uh, I'll just say this. I mean, I know that people want all this to be solved by next Tuesday. And I know Facebook have have made, you know, we as I said, we could have spent the whole hour talking about how terrible Facebook is. But these are decisions that any company would find impossible, any company, any institution, because they're the trade-offs and balances about free speech, which have puzzled and troubled and led to, to, to catastrophic results over three, four hundred years. So it's not going to be solved by next Tuesday. And I would rather be part of a board that, that can take the time and has got the expertise to, to make actually judgments that I think will stand the test of time. That seems to me an incredibly important function. And so to to answer your question, yes, it's worth it. Yes. All right. May just push back on one thing. I know people don't want an answer next Tuesday. I wrote a story in 2019 describing this entire thing. They sh- Their anticipation of consequences is at this point um, uh, negligent. As my, as far as I'm concerned, and I get the free speech arguments and everything else, but it's the fact that the stuff you uncovered that they don't have any processes, which I we all have long suspected has been troubling to say the least. 
Yeah, but that's a valuable, you know, if we did nothing else to have got under the hood in the way that we have and to start bringing this out in the open will force change. And so, you know, um, even if we never made, wrote any judgments, I still think we're having a good influence. And, I, you know, I happen to think that the judgments are pretty good, too. All right. I appreciate it. I want to talk to you in six months. Okay, Cara. I'll, I think I'll, we'll have a lot to catch up on. And when this happens in six months, we'll see how it ends. I'll come back and do it. All right. All Alan, right. Thank you so Cheers. much. Sway is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Naima Raza, Blakeney Schick, Hiba El Arbani, Matt Kwong, and Daphne Chen. Edited by Naima Raza and Paula Schumann. With original music by Isaac Jones, mixing by Eric Gomez and Bryson Barnes, and fact-checking by Kate Sinclair, Ben Fellin, and Kristen Lin. Special thanks to Shannon Busta and Lyriel Higa. If you're in a podcast app already, you know how to get your podcasts, so follow this one. If you're listening on the Times website and want to get each new episode of Sway delivered to you with an abject apology from Donald Trump to Mark Zuckerberg and the rest of the nation, as if, download any podcast app, then search for Sway and follow the show. We release every Monday and Thursday. Thanks for listening. One more thing. We've got an event coming up for Times subscribers. I'll be debating my fellow hosts from Opinion Podcast, Jane Coaston and Ezra Klein, as well as columnist Farhad Manju about the merits and dangers of cancel culture. Comedian Trevor Noah will be weighing in on the subject too. It'll be on Wednesday, May 12th. Time subscribers can RSVP at nytimes.com slash cancel culture. <laughs>